Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Well, it's Christmas Day, and in this part of the service, we normally have a sermon, a message, a meditation. Um, but I've been influenced by one of my mentors, uh, the Reverend Noah Tall. He's pastor of Ninth Presbyterian Church in Presbyville. Presbyville is a, a little community that's nestled in the mountains of Western Virginia, and. I did an internship with him when I was in seminary, and the year that I did that internship was a year like this, where Christmas Eve was on Saturday and Christmas Day was on Sunday. And um, I, I said, you know, how do you, how do you preach Saturday and then Sunday? And he said, you don't. He said, I recommend you cheat. And I, I, sa- I said, what, what, what do you mean by that? He said, look, Tom. You just don't have that much to say. And so you, you do what you can on Christmas Eve, and then on Christmas Day, you cheat. You, you, you lean on somebody else. And so what I've been doing on these years is I've been calling him the week of Christmas and just say, tell me, tell me what's going, going on. It, it, Ninth Presbyterian, it's an, it's an odd name for a church, Ninth Church particularly since in Presbyville there are only two churches. There's the St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church and there's the Ninth Church. Um, and you would think maybe it was on Ninth Boulevard, but it's not. It's actually on, on Bliss Street, uh, which is a little optimistic for a church. And they, um, the, they got the name Ninth because it came from the first crisis in this congregation. Presbyville was the first planned community in in uh, the United States during the colonial period, Presbyterians moved to this area and they planned this robust metropolis that would have 12 large neighborhoods, each one having their own church, and they were numbered one, two, three, one through 12. But the idea is the church in each one of these neighborhoods would be named after one of the apostles. The first neighborhood to uh, to grow uh, was in the number that was assigned for Andrew. So it's the St. Andrew Presbyterian Church. Um, it didn't really explode as the founders expected to. It's Presbyterian. It didn't really explode. They didn't have need 12. But after some time, considerable time, uh, another neighborhood emerged, and, and, and so a second church was formed. It was, it was formed in the, the ninth century. Uh, planned area on the old plat. It was the ninth planned area. It was supposed to be the Thaddeus Presbyterian Church. That's what it was supposed to be named. But on the day the congregation was commissioned, the pastor, the Reverend Theodore Jackson Hollywood III, he invited the clerk of session, that's his name, he invited the clerk of session to read the passage of the commissioning of the disciples um, and there was a typo in the bulletin. Um, if, if, if the clerk had read from Matthew or Mark, everything would have been fine. They'd be the Thaddeus Presbyterian Church. 
but he read from Luke. And when you read the disciples commissioned in Luke, Thaddeus evidently didn't make the cut. His name's not mentioned there. This raised a big question. Who were the disciples? Was Thaddeus really a disciple or was he like a JV team guy? Why, why didn't Luke mention him? It raised so, so much consternation in the congregation that they finally just said, look, we're just going to take the plat number. We're the ninth Presbyterian church. They realize it communicates a bit of, of inferiority when you're ninth and there's only two, but it was a way to keep peace. So, as I do, I call back this year and I talk to uh, Betty, the church secretary. I said, hey, um, you know, they'll There'll be some folks in church on Christmas Day. Tell me, uh, tell me what's, been, what's been going on. She said, uh, you planning to talk about us to folks back in Kansas City like you've done in years past? And I said, well, you know, folks in Kansas City are interested. They like to know what's going on. She said, well, nothing's happening here, really. And I said, well, surely something's going on. She said, well, yeah, but I don't think it's any business of folks in Kansas City to know what's going on in our town. And if you want to just gossip about somebody, why don't you call the Methodists down in Covington? They got a lot they could tell you about. And so she hung up. Um, and, 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 and then she evidently told Reverend Tall that I'd call because about a half hour later, he called me. He's, uh, he's, still, he's still there. He's, um, he's been there for, for 38 years, and I told him that's, you know, that's, that's impressive, but it's not 47, so don't, don't, you know, you're not done yet. And uh, I told him that you would be here, and I'd like to give an update, and he said, well, Betty's right. We really don't have anything to share, and he said, why don't you, why don't you tell the story uh, that happened at the Williams house the Christmas that you were here. And I said, well, you know, this is, a, I've, I've already told Village that story. I've, I've already told them. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I want to tell them that story again. He said, uh, Tom, I listen to you online. You repeat stories all the time. I mean, how many times have I heard the music truck? How many times have I heard Niagara Falls? How many times have I heard the car wreck story? I mean, you repeat stories all the time. And I said, yeah, but with Presbyville, it feels, uh, it feels different. He said, no, don't worry about it. He said, uh, the Gallup poll had been released a couple of years ago, said that by Tuesday, 86.5% of Presbyterians have forgotten what was said on Sunday, and that includes the preacher, and, <laughs> and that 18% of Presbyterians can't remember whether they were in church or not by Tuesday, he said. So either they weren't listening or they've forgotten, just plow ahead. So if you don't mind, I'm going to tell you the story of the Christmas when I was there. It, it started a little stressful. Calvin Knox is the organist choir director at Ninth Church. He's sort of Dr. Bickers and Will Brightsprock and Josh Mays all rolled into one. And every Christmas Eve, he sings, Oh, Holy Night, but this particular year, he contracted a very severe case of laryngitis. Um, and Charlie Martin said, it just wouldn't be Christmas if Calvin Knox didn't sing O Holy Night, which if that were true, would be unfortunate for the world. That year, um, like this year, Christmas fell on Sunday, so that created a lot of stress for Reverend Tall, Calvin being under the weather. and. And there was a certain anxiety that he experienced in these high holy days. It was rooted in his first Christmas at Ninth Church. Um, 
The tradition there is much like it is here. Um, they would sing Silent Night, um, but as before they did, they would extinguish all of the lights in the sanctuary, every last light, including the light from the Advent candles where the only light in the sanctuary was the light of the Christ candle. And what the pastor would do is take the Christ candle from the wreath and walk down the center aisle and begin to light people's candle from the light of the Christ candle. It's really a, a lovely tradition. And, but it is quite dark. The windows there are not like these. Ninth Church has stained glass windows. And if you've ever been in a church with stained glass windows at night, it's, it's quite, quite dark. His first Christmas, um, they, they started, uh, started the, the process. He took the light, uh, he took the candle from the wreath. And, and as he began to walk down the steps, he stumbled uh, a, a bit. He didn't hurt himself. He, he, he was fine. Um, but the candle went out, um, which is an unfortunate symbol on Christmas Eve. It's an, it's an unfortunate symbol. Um, but more than that, um, uh, nobody could, could see anything. Um, uh, people were kind of humming Silent Night. And Esther Wildwood was at the piano, um, and she's quite good, but, but she learned that she benefits from at least a little light when playing Silent Night. And it's not quite as peaceful or bright when the left hand and the right hand are playing different keys. So Reverend Tall knew there were some matches in the Advent wreath, and so he crawled his way back up the, the steps, um, and he found the matches, but not before knocking over the Advent wreath, which people couldn't see, but they heard it very clearly. And it shocked many of them, including Esther Wildwood at the piano, who just completely stopped playing altogether, which was a bit of grace in the moment. But in the silence, you could hear Reverend Tall trying to strike the match. Finally, the light of Christ returned and they proceeded as the tradition. In very Presbyterian fashion, no one mentioned a thing when the service was over, just acted like this was normal. That was Christmas Eve. Then the following Easter, which would have been his second Easter at Ninth Church, they had a children's sermon during uh, the Easter service, and normally Reverend told he had a little stool that he sat on for the children's time, um, but the stool had been removed for the Good Friday service and had not wandered back in uh, for Easter Sunday, and so Reverend Tall just sat down on the steps. It was fine. He sat down on the steps uh, with the kiddos and told the story and then sent them back, and as they left, he turned to walk back up the step, but his, he stepped inside of his robe, um, which pulled him forward a little bit, and he took another step inside the robe, and he just walked up the inside of his robe until he fell over into a bank of Easter lilies. It was sort of stressful. Uh, they say things like that happen in threes, and so I could tell you about Pentecost, but I'm getting off of, getting off of the story a bit. All this is to say that experience has left him with more than your normal stress on high holy days. So he was probably, although he would never say this, he was probably relieved to hear about what happened over at the Williams house. Dink Williams is the son of Mabel and Hampy Williams, and Dink was 
off to seminary, not, not in, at Union and Richmond where I went to, but he went to a, a little-known seminary in Atlanta. And it was his first year. You're welcome, Roger. It was his first year, uh, and, and, uh, and he was ready to get home for Christmas. He was ready to be home. Uh, he arrived about mid-afternoon in Presbyville. It was a short walk from the bus station to the house, and he walked through the back door, and it was magic. Just, you know, just 24 hours before, he was awash in academia and in exams and papers and exegesis, and he didn't have the Christmas spirit in him. You couldn't find it with a microscope, but he walks through the back door, and the garlands on the mantle, and the tree is up, and there are gifts around the tree, and there's that stuff that smells from the stove, and, and it was just magic. And he walked in and said, guess who's home? Nobody guessed. Then, then he saw the note. It said, Dink, I've taken your father to the hospital. He's all right. We'll explain when we get home. P.S. It wasn't really my fault. <laughs> Love, Mom. Well, this incident happened because Hampy Williams went Christmas shopping early this year, which was not his custom. Hampy is the king of panic shopping. It is not unusual to find him down at the Walmart after the Christmas Eve candlelight service. It wasn't, it wasn't that he didn't want to give gifts. He did. He wanted to give the perfect gift to the people that he loved, but no gift would, would measure up. No, he, he thought about getting Mabel a, a, a new lampshades for, for the den, but he, 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 he'd pick them out and she would open them. She would love them, but he would think, no, they're not the right ones. And he, he, he thought about getting dink, various things. He, just was, he was always dissatisfied that he didn't get the right gift. But this year, um, and, 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 and he, he often didn't last year, Mabel got her gift. She ripped open the paper, which you could do because he didn't use wrapping paper. He used newspaper. Um, usually the Sunday funnies with some color in them. Um, she opened the box and she said, oh, Hampy Williams, how beautiful. Little ceramic nuns playing bongos. He said, he said, they're salt and pepper shakers, Mabel. Their black habits match her every day. He said, I hope you like them. She would, but he didn't, even if he'd liked them in the store. And the year before that was the year of the perfume. He was down at the Walmart, and, and the clerk uh, recommended a particular scent. Um, he, he should have known it was suspect. The, the, the clerk had more earrings in her left ear than Mabel had in her jewelry box, and, and she, had a, she had a tattoo on her arm that just said, get a life. She said, she said the, the, the scent was to die for, which he took as a metaphor, um, but, but when she opened it on Christmas and sprayed a little bit, it about knocked them all out. She said, it's perfect. It's, it's a great outdoor scent. We'll wear it for picnics and boating and things like that. And of course, uh, they were no help to Hampy. 
He'd say, Mabel, what do you want for Christmas? She said, oh, I don't know, just surprise me. Well, he'd done that with the bongo playing nuns, and, and, and Dink was all mature now. Dink, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, Dad, I don't need anything. Well, it never needed anything. It wasn't about that. Hampy hated this. But this year was different. He had a plan. A few months back, looking through a catalog, Mabel had commented on a set of salad bowls. She said, oh, these are beautiful. They're farm-grown Honduran mahogany. There was a little slot carved in where you rested your salad fork. That would help Hampy know which fork was the salad fork. She, she was just talking. She didn't think Hampy heard because he was trying to get the phrase on Wheel of Fortune, but he, he, he heard her and he made a mental note. And he didn't have a lot of mental notes, so it was easy for him to keep up with, with this one. He was going to get her the salad bowls. And Dink, he was going to get Dink, now he's in seminary, he was going to get Dink a, a nativity set that was exactly like the set that they had that they no longer used. It was the, the nativity of his childhood. They didn't use it anymore because, because they had lost a lot of the pieces. They, they had shepherds, but the sheep were missing. Um, there was only one magi left. I think it was Gaspar. I don't, I don't, I don't know. The, the others were left. The last year they used it was the year that, that Dink um, got a puppy for Christmas. Um, they, they named the dog Martin Luther. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. There's a story there. I don't know why they named the dog Martin Luther. But, but Martin Luther that year bit the head right off of the Virgin Mary. It's, uh, it's I guess, some Reformation latent hostility. I, I, I don't know. But, but after that, uh, a headless Mary, they just decided that that set was, was done for. But Dink loved it. He, he, would, he would take the pieces around the house. Uh, one, one day, the Magi would be journeying from the den, and the next day, they'd be journeying from the foyer. He, he loved it. And, and Hampy thought, I'm getting Mabel the salad bowls. I'm, I'm getting Dink the nativity. Well, he, he went into Covington to the big mall, and he had success with the salad bowls right away. Some store named Pier One, he said he, there, was, there was absolutely no nautical stuff in there. He didn't understand the name. But he found the salad bowls. Mabel would love them. The nativity proved more difficult. He couldn't find the one like he wanted until right after lunch. He saw one in the window of a shop. He stepped in. He told the clerk, he said, I want a nativity just like the one in, in the window. And the clerk said, uh, oh, I'm sorry, sir, we're out of that one. I have these. He said, no, 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 it needs to be the one in the window. He said, well, I'm sorry, we're out of those. He said, well, you're clearly not. There's one in the window. And he said, well, that's a display model. And he said, well, if you knock a little off, I'll take the display model. Knocking a little off was Dink's forte, I mean, uh, Hampy's forte. And so, so they said, well, I guess, I guess we could do that. There's no need to display it if we can't sell any others. And so the clerk went and began to box up this nativity. And then Hampy heard the clerk say, oh, my. Hampy said, is there a problem? He said, this set seems to be incomplete. He said, what do you mean incomplete? He said, well, it's missing the baby Jesus. Would that be a problem? And he said, well, the baby Jesus is kind of the point. That's kind, of, kind of the point. And, and he looked like he was feeling some righteous anger, but it was really just panic. They look a lot alike. And he was thinking, what am I going to do? And then the idea dawned on him 
This set is exactly like the one they have back home in the attic. He'll get this set complete. He'll go retrieve the baby Jesus from the attic, slide that Jesus in here. It'll be a complete set. Dink will love it. So that's exactly what he did. He rushed home, and when he got home, Mabel was not there. She had gone to the grocery to get some sweet potatoes. That was Dink's favorite. And so he just rushed up into the attic. They have, they have one of those, um, like, walk-up stairs, permanent walk-up stairs into their attic. They've lived in this house for about 30 years. There's more stuff in the attic than there is in the rest of the house. They've got old furniture that they're keeping for Dink when he's out on his own. They've got, they've got clothes that they're saving to come back in style, leisure suits and stuff like that. They, they've, got, they've, got, they've got, you know, China up there. There's, there's National Geographics that have been a store. It's just, there's Hampy's LP collection that three summers ago with the record heat, they all melted into one greatest hit. It's just lots of stuff. It wasn't going to be easy finding Jesus in there. While Hampy was in the attic, Mabel got back from the grocery. And, uh, and when she got back, she didn't know he was in the attic. He didn't know she was in the kitchen. Hampy was moving things around. Uh, he, he was looking for boxes that said Christmas decorations. Uh, he picked up a box that said lampshades, but it turned out to be some old National Geographics, much heavier than he anticipated. So he dropped them with a thud. Mabel heard that in the attic and thought, what was that? Well, he moved something else. I, I, I don't know what. And she heard that and she realized somebody's in the attic. She looked at the floor by the back door where Hampy drops his keys and they weren't there. He was in such a rush. And then she looked in the backyard and Martin Luther was still in the backyard and Hampy always let the dog in when he got back. And so she was confused. She was worried somebody had broken into the house and had gone up to the attic to steal all of their valuable stuff. And so she walked down the hall, and she was calling to him, Hampy Williams, is that you? Hampy Williams, is that you? But she didn't want to call him too loud in case it wasn't him. The Whoever it was wouldn't hear her. And so she got to the door that leads up to the attic, and the light was on. She knew someone was in there. She reached in the door. She turned off the light switch. She slammed the door. This startled Hampy. He stood straight up, hit his head on one of those ceiling joists, which knocked him off balance. He ended up stepping off of the plywood, and he went right through the den ceiling. His arms caught him on the ceiling joist so that half of him was in the den amidst an explosion of insulation and sheetrock, and half of him was in the attic. It looked like the return of the Son of Man had miscalculated and crashed into a presbytery. Syrian uh, den. Mabel sees this, and you would think after 27 years of marriage, she'd recognize the ankles of your beloved, but she was panicked. She wanted to call 911, but she couldn't remember the number. So she just, she took a mop and she began to beat on his ankles. She's just swinging, saying, get out of my house, get out of my house, get out of my house. And he said, woman, I would if you'd quit beating on me. And she said, Hampy, is that you? What in the world are you doing? He said, I'm looking for Jesus. <laughs> well, she had broken his ankle. 
She'd broken his ankle. I, I don't know how she got him dislodged from the ceiling, but she got him into the car and took him to urgent care, and he, he got a cast all the way up to his knee. With, with all of the commotion, they missed the Christmas Eve service altogether, but Christmas was on Sunday, so they showed up Sunday morning. They came to church. There's Hampy with his, with his cast on. The usher said to him, maybe I've been beating on you again, uh, you know. Well, Christmas came, and they went to church, and then they went home to open presents. Mabel loved the salad bowls. How did you know, she said. Mental note, he said. Dink opened the nativity. He said, Dad, this is perfect. Hampy said, well, not exactly. It's missing the baby Jesus. Mabel said, what? He said, it's a long story, woman. It's a long story. Dink had taken one preaching class. He recognized a preachable moment. He said, it's okay, Dad. He was born in the manger, but he's not in the manger anymore. He's wherever we are. He's out in the world. You go out in the world, that's, that's where you'll find him. You just have to look for him out in the world. And Hampy said, well, you ain't going to find him in the attic. Hampy got a book on home repair. Chapter 8 was sheetrock. That was convenient. Dink got him tickets to the Atlanta Braves-St. Louis game in July. They would go together. That'd be pretty good. Dink was right, though. Out there, you bump into him, or he bumps into you. He started in the manger, but the whole point was to dwell with us wherever we are. So wherever you are, Wherever you go, keep your eyes open because he's come for you. He's come to be with you, to love you. The light and life has found you. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.